Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, we're joined by Tim Hayden. Tim's a guy who some people would describe as part social anthropologist and part strategic marketing executive. He's a guy who sits on the advisory boards of several pretty well-known organizations and has really been a catalyst for innovative change with some of the world's largest brands. We're going to talk specifically about the problems with marketing in many organizations, how to use marketing effectively for retention, not just for recruiting new customers, and finally, the right way to collect feedback that can move the needle for your business. You're going to learn a ton from Tim Hayden. Tim Hayden, welcome to the program. Ian, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. So what's one piece of maybe surprising or unexpected information that people may not know about you? Well, uh, you know, it's it's that's going to be a pre-social media thing, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, well, people will be tweeting know, about it momentarily. So I'm I'm sure I'm sure. Uh, if you go back ten years plus um, before I really was doing anything with social media or mobile technology, I was a music promoter, and uh, I used to work closely with artists like uh, Robert Randolph and the Family Band and Willie Nelson. I have been on his bus. Cool. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, it, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Actually, was that was all the inspiration that had me start to understand how all this other technology uh, engages audiences. And, and that's what got you on the road again? I'm, I'm, if I start singing, people are going to tune out, so we'll skip that right away. Now, so – Though some people may be thinking, wow, well, so Tim's here to talk to us about music production. Um, really, your expertise in, is, comes down to this world of social, mobile, digital marketing. What what do you see as the biggest mistake or oversight that people have when it comes to marketing? Well, I think it's a... I think it's an oversight. I think it's. Uh, I think it's something that's happened culturally with uh, business that we think that marketing is, and we apply marketing as this great move to acquire new customers. And uh, I think that's that's a bit of a misnomer to think of it wholly as your acquisition strategy, because honestly, marketing today, the way it can encompass so many touch points in a customer experience, it can be an incredible way to retain and, and build repeat business. So when you think about growing revenue, um, it's not the one-to-one acquisition opportunity. It, it very well, I think, could have a, a strong reason for people to go back and think about how do you engage your current customers. And uh, most people don't see it that way. So unpack that a little bit a little bit for us when we talk about engage your current customers because let's face it what we see all the time and I'm sure you're a victim of this as much as the rest of us you know I'll get someone who reaches out to connect on LinkedIn and I'm thinking you know I don't know this person they seem like a decent person I accept it and a nanosecond later I'm getting some pitch right. about something I should buy from someone who a half a second ago I didn't even know right well, and I think that's I I think that's just it. I mean, how personal is that? It's not personal at all. And what's worse is if that was someone who had already bought your books or had already seen you speak and and or was a customer on a regular basis with you and you had no idea that they were any of those things. Um you know that's that's the situation I'm talking about. Is that most brands, most businesses today, 
they lack the insight into truly understanding who their customers are, and therefore, um, they treat them as these uh, transactional opportunities. I'm going to seasonally or um, when their uh, when their payments are up, when they've you know when their car is paid off, or when they have had their their ink toner cartridges as long as the average person has, I'm going to send them another email. It's not that. It's starting to really get in and understanding the contextual disposition, wants, and preferences of your current customers to be able to tell stories to them and be able to perhaps through that get them to more frequently buy from you, not just engage with you to like the things you share on Facebook, but to actually hit the buy button. And I think that one of the things that I see is that the the rise of marketing automation, initially people said, wow, this is great because now I can automate regular communication with my clients. But I, you know, my perception is that what a lot of people forget is the notion of building a community and providing value to that marketplace instead of, hey, I now have this automated megaphone and I can yell and shout stuff to my clients whenever I want to. And we somehow think that's going to generate a positive outcome. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, we've over-automated the funnel. And that's, that's the pre-sale funnel as much as it is the post-sale customer experience. We've, we've over-automated it to the point where I think you, know, you and I certainly have some empathy that we share that when you used to it used to be that sales, you it in, it always included the human voice or eye to eye, face to face contact uh, communication, you know, and 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 now we have folks who just sit there and wait for an alert from Salesforce to say that there is a qualified lead there, and then they treat that with really no contextual qualification. They treat it as it is only a qualified lead, so I'm going to start to sell to them. And then after perhaps we've sold to them, they are just a customer. They're just someone who's bought from us, and we just got to be ready for customer care or customer service, uh, which I think is, is where we're leaving ourselves too short. And, and, we're, and we're certainly, as you've already put it, we're just over-automating that entire relationship. Yeah, and I think it becomes almost sterile where – People just get into almost an autopilot mode as sellers, which is one of the things that just is the bane of my existence when I see it. There's a keynote I just gave for the Inc. CEO Project Summit in Chicago, and I started with a story that that I've shared in the podcast before about some guy who called me up and and said, oh, well, you know, I, I contact speakers and authors just like you because I, I know – that speakers and authors, the thing that you hate more than anything and that you're really uncomfortable with is having sales-related conversations with your customers. Right. And I said, wow, that, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you called. What was yeah. it about my website that gave you the indication that that whole sales discussion might be something I'm uncomfortable with? And you hear this, you know, typing on the keys in the background yeah. – and it's you know here it's enter, and then all I hear is this, oh crap, yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's funny because what occurred to me was uh, okay, uh-huh. so you didn't visit the website before, you're just visiting it now, and I'm like, look, knucklehead, 
here's your mistake. So I said to him, I said, I said, so Justin, right now you're feeling kind of embarrassed, right? He says, yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea. I said, okay, what would have been different if you had done this research in advance? Right. He says, well, I, I probably wouldn't have called. I said, okay. So <laughs> would that have been in your best interest and my best interest? Yeah. Okay. Well, so the good news is you got a lesson out of this, <laughs> but right. I, I mean, I wasn't answering the call to, to, to give a lesson. I was like, okay, who's calling? Let me take the call, which is probably my first mistake in answering the phone. But um, so we can, we can beat up people for doing this stuff wrong. What should people be doing differently to better know their customer? Well, you know, I think that we've, we've got quite a few wares that have been sitting in the barn for the, the past five to 10 years. And, you know, one of those is net promoter score. Um, by constantly looking at different segments of your current customers, and these are people that have already opened their wallet to you um, or for you, and in, in those situations to be able to ask them questions on why they bought from you and would they tell their friends to buy from you. Now, you don't have to think about that in the context of an off-the-shelf net promoter score where there are dozens and dozens of websites out there that show you how to do that. It is as much about asking people through surveys, quick polls, um, and, and asking them questions about what motivates them to use your product or what are some of the decisions that they're making with their business or their life if you're selling a lifestyle or a consumer product. And, and being able to then pack whatever those responses are into your customer relationship management system, a CRM or marketing automation tools that you're using to start to segment your audience even more. So to your earlier point, when the marketing automation system is starting to send the monthly newsletter out, it's not sending the same exact newsletter to everyone. And there are technologies now that allow you to be able to uh, parse up that that audience. Uh, one of them is One Stop that, that we often refer to some of our clients that um, could allow you, if you had 200,000 different customers, doing what I just said, being able to incrementally get insights on who your customers are and what their needs and preferences are. If you had 200,000 of them, maybe you're sending out 150,000 unique emails when that monthly newsletter goes out to be very personalized. And and that right there is is what I'm talking about in terms of knowing who they are and knowing contextually what drives them, what motivates them, and watching how a much more empathetic play, maybe it's marketing, but it's retention and encouraging repeat purchases with that audience by being more personalized. Well, it's interesting because I think, I think you make a great point there, which is it's the area that I think people overlook. And I, and I know there's something you talk a fair amount about, which is we think of marketing as this whole great acquisition engine instead of, look, if you think of marketing as creating valuable content for your audience, that's actually helping reinforce the value you're providing to your customers. So, for example, if, if I'm Weber Grill, yes. I, can, I can send out stuff that says, hey, here's some other stuff you should be buying from me. And guess what? 
as a customer, I'm not going to share that with anybody because why would I share them an advertisement? But if Weber right. sent something out that said, man, here's the secret to creating the perfect steak on your grill. And by the right. way, here's the way that you can actually have like sauteed vegetables with your steak at the same time. And here's the right way to time it. I might share that with a bunch of my friends and if I do that, they go, wow, that's really valuable information. And they tell Weber, hey, can I subscribe to your list also? And right. now we're building a community around value. And as as our friend Marcus Sheridan says, hey, if you hang out in the barbershop enough, eventually you're going to get a haircut. <laughs> right. I think that notion of just constantly creating and adding value is something that's just lost on people. So how should people do that? Well, I think it's understanding you've got a peer-to-peer -to -peer opportunity today um, with smartphone proliferation and and what so many marketers are talking about, this connected reality or this hyper-connected reality we have with the audience. And I've, I've got big hands up with quotes right now, the audience. Well, it's it's no longer this large swath of people that all look the same and wear the same color sweater. It is this unique peer-to-peer -peer opportunity to be able to have a one-to-one -one conversation with each. You don't get that through social media. So what do you do to perhaps send emails to folks and ask them to click through and answer a couple of questions? How do you get them to maybe share a picture with you of your product or service that they're using? I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, WD-40 did this two and a half years ago where they ran a, a simple promotion, and I think the, the, the prize for the most popular entry was something like $2,500 and maybe a year supply of WD-40. I don't know about you, but my WD-40 lasts probably three or four years on the shelf. But, um, um, but I was going to say did, three or four decades. Mine lasts, <laughs> mine lasts until, until I lose it. Right, right. Well, you'll get it then. Um, the ask was, tell us a use case for WD-40, and they got 5,000 unique entries from folks that sent in videos of the things they were doing to, um, to clean their surfboards and shine their jewelry and do so much more than just quick fix the squeaky door or uh, break through the rust on an old nut and bolt. I mean, there was this phenomenal wave of user-generated content that came back that they were able to match one-to-one -one with the email addresses, which then gave them what you already described when you used Weber Grills as the example, a much more personal exchange with each of these folks, and then merchandising all that content on the WD-40 website to let the rest of the audience see all the ways you could use it. And because it's coming from users, to your point, community, it is so much more believable than anything they could package up in a 30-second television spot. Oh, yeah. Now you have this, this wealth of information where people say, oh, man, you got to see the video of the one guy who, like, right. who washed his cat with WD-40. Dude, it's the funniest <laughs> thing. But guess what? They're watching it now, and they're That's getting right. reinforced to the brand, and it makes it fun, and it makes it engaging. It makes it worth remarking, which is what Seth Godin says, the definition of remarkable is right. worth remarking about. And all of a sudden now I've got something where there's a little bit of buzz around it. And what I want to make sure that people understand is, look, if you're a B2B company, you might think, well, I don't have WD-40. You know, we don't sell WD-40. No, but 
it's like we have a we have a tool that we use called Same Side Improv that we developed, and we're constantly asking clients, well, so how do you use it? Oh, well, we do this over lunch, and what we do is, you know, we everyone gets a salad, we sit around the table, we do this stuff, we have a blast, and we've added some other elements to it, we make things up, and I'm just asking people, how are you using the tool to help your business? And let's face it, there are tons of products and services where companies envision people using it one way, and the clients get innovative yeah. and figure out a different yeah. or better way to use it. Right. And let's face it, that's the that's the other hard truth about marketing today is that marketers are held up working in the same cohort, in the same group every single day. They've been looking at the same thing all day long. So when you get that community involved, when you get your customers involved, when it comes to content creation or it comes to, I mean, everything you're talking about from a feedback standpoint and people telling you experientially how they use your product, uh, that's content. And that's that's incredible feedback that's going to help you as a marketer only get better at your game and help you see things through a lens that you just simply cannot sitting at your desk. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I, when I do our full-day same-side selling immersion programs, we always send people a survey at the end, and we get a pretty high response rate, and it asks questions like, so what was your favorite part? What are the two or three things you would change? And, gee, what are the biggest takeaways that you had? And people probably think we don't read them, but we read every single word of every one of them because I'm looking for trends or patterns where I say, you know what? People used to say this, but now they say that. And people didn't used to have suggestions, and now there's stuff that they wish that was in there that wasn't in there. And, by the way, everything from we've changed the menus that we offer when we do these for lunch based on feedback of people saying what they wanted. And it sounds silly, but we actually have – it's a better offering and a better better program now because we actually got that input. When we weren't trying to sell anything, we're just trying to figure out how to make what we do better. That's right. That's right. I mean, and we – at Brain Trust, we do the same thing. We – you know, if we can get somebody from the COO, the CIO or CTO and the CMO's office, usually not those individuals, but if we can get some of their high-ranking lieutenants – that are closer to the front line of operations in the same room when we're talking about enterprise technology, being able to lower operating expenses and serve more customers faster, leaner. When we, we start talking about that, there, there is this phenomena that these people who usually don't have a cup of coffee with each other start to hear what's possible with a platform that could have been sold to just one of them or something that was simply relegated to marketing, and they start to understand what happens with data and the integration of the insights that come from such data to other parts of the business, there's this beautiful aha moment where they're thinking, oh my gosh, we've been spending too much. Maybe it's on redundant technology. Maybe it's just on the time we haven't spent talking to each other across departments. So it's it is, it is amazing when you can start to get multiple stakeholders in the room to hear each other talk and to start to digest what is, what is possible or what um, is applicable to helping their business do more when it comes to the customer experience. So, Tim, one of the things I'd love for you to do is, and I, and I know you've got a ton of different customer success stories or client success stories. Can you pick one or two so you can kind of 
help people understand and get a better vision for, look, here's the impact you can have when you know your customer, when maybe you embrace mobile technology in an intelligent way, and when right. you personalize offerings. So give us some examples, because I think that'll, that'll help solidify that for our listeners. Sure. I mean, well, one of our clients is uh, Paragon Auto. It's uh, the third largest, I think, in the nation, largest in the East Coast, uh, Honda and Acura dealer. They're up in Queens, and they serve that greater New York City area. Um, these guys were so money that they actually, uh, the, the Honda dealer in, in Manhattan, closed its doors. They don't know if that was because of anything they were doing right at Paragon or not, but it just opened up a huge market for for the guys at Paragon. The short of what they did was uh, they worked with us to understand the data they were already sitting on. They had new car sales data, used car sales data, internet sales data, and all this parts and service department data on customers. And they started to understand that Everyone who's bought a car from them is equipped with a smartphone, sure, and many of them in connected cars now as well. And being able to say if you have engine trouble, if you have a check engine light, there's no reason why you need to bring that into the dealer. You have the means to describe and take a photo and tell us what's going on with your, your vehicle right then and there. We will come to you and pick up your, your vehicle from you wherever you are, and then we will either give you a loaner car or a shuttle to where you need to go. While you're there and your car is being worked on, while you're at work or you're at home, we will then, via text message, we will send you photos on what we found is the problem and explain to you in detail in that text message what it is we're going to do to fix it and how much it's going to cost. All of that, then letting you know 30 minutes or more before we're done that your car is almost ready. Do you want us to bring it back to you or would you like us to come pick you up and bring you into the dealership? And centering around that mobile connection if you want to call it that, but that one-to-one connection they have with their customers and and empathizing with the people who've bought cars from them, that it really is a pain in the tail to make them come in to get their car serviced. It really is a pain for them to drive across town and take the collective hour that it, just in transportation time to get over there. It's even a bigger pain, no matter how luxurious and how expensive the coffee is you have in the waiting room, it is not where they want to be waiting on their vehicles. So they erase all that frustration by doing that, and they're taking it to the next level now by doing the same thing with test drives. No reason for you to have to come to the dealer if you want to test drive a vehicle. Let us know where you're going to be. Let's help you qualify the certain trim or model that you're looking for, and we'll bring a car out, and sometimes we'll bring two cars out for you to test drive wherever you are. Again, no reason we should add friction to your day, and again, all of that happening through the connected devices, which are 99% of the time are a smartphone and built for that mobile-first opportunity to connect one-to-one with them. What kind of result have they seen? You know, they've just kicked it off, but already they've seen... um, through a reconciliation of those disparate data points I outlined earlier, being able to say, hey, this is the top 10% of customers we want to launch the program with 
top 10% being qualified, perhaps that they bought three or more vehicles from us over the last 10 years, or they've had a vehicle and they've been in for service more than two times over the last two years. And then being able to see what the, the feedback is, they're seeing almost 100% of those customers are opting in for what is called now Paragon Direct. They're opting in for this program, and they're starting to participate. Now, of course, we're talking about selling cars here. So with it just kicking off in the last quarter, we're going to have a few quarters that have to unfold before we understand what it means for true sales. But if you think about just that high-touch experience that's happening there, that was not happening before. Let's face it. Um, I think the the typical opt-in for mobile-based stuff is, what, in – low double digits or single digits. So if you're getting the better part of 100% opt-in, then obviously there's some magic there. And what I th- what I want to make sure that people get is, look, this isn't, hey, here's an opt-in so we can market and sell to you. This is opt-in and connect us so that if you have a service issue, you can just text us a picture and we can help you diagnose what's going on. Opt-in so that if you need that service, we can come just meet you wherever you are. And take care of that for you. Now, by the way, people are going to say, well, man, but they're going to go out and pick up this car. Yeah, because guess what? If they don't, they're just bringing it to a local service station. So this way, these guys are ensuring they're getting the business and they're making it easy for their customers to work with them. I think the beauty of this is that you're putting your you're putting yourselves in the head of your customer that says, what are their big frustrations? And if we overcome those, are we going to get a disproportion of their business compared to other people? That's right. That's right. And and I think that goes right back to where we were 18 minutes ago, and that is understanding that marketing communications and content is it is not limited to the transactional opportunity to acquire brand new customers. And it yeah. should not be. It should you should be able to leverage that and apply it to delivering a much more delightful customer experience to everyone who's already there. These are your customers and they're your ball to fumble. Sure. Hey, Tim, I know that for executives, you guys have this retreat coming up, your um, your Clever Brain Summit in Napa. I'm, I'm sure it's really tough to convince executives to come to Napa for a few days in August. But, you know, sometimes people just have to take one for the team and go to Napa in August. So can you just give me like a quick snapshot of what that event's about? And keep in mind, everybody, we'll have this in the show notes also. But tell us a little bit about what that event's about for I mean, what is it, August 10th through the 12th or something like that? Yes, it's August 10th through the 12th. It's in Napa at the Western Varasa Napa, beautiful hotel. And um, we've teamed up with our friends at Clever. Uh, uh, Stephanie uh, Pompania, who is actually the CEO of Clever, she sits on our advisory board at Braintrust Partners. So Braintrust Partners and Clever are, are going to put together a two-and-a-half-day summit that really looks at what social media has matured to be and how can we capitalize on that through a sharing of probably some best practices and creative ideas that have brought us to where we are today. And then what's possible? Because if you think about it, uh, social media in its current form, what it's grown up to be as an advertising powerhouse, and I'm not talking about simply Facebook, but Facebook cer- certainly it's it's their game to lose right now. There are ways to leverage what's happening in social media to drive both top and bottom line success. And we are 
going to have a fantastic couple of days of exchanging some ideas and some breakout activities and exercises to help people walk out of the room, march back to wherever they came from, and apply something as they're starting to really outline how they're going to hit the end of this year and 2018 with a bank, hopefully doing something very differentiated from anything they've done before. And I know it's all targeted at executives, so people can find the information in the show notes. And um, obviously, you and your colleagues deliver just like amazing amazing content and value at these things to give that roadmap. Hey, Tim, what's the best way for people to find you online and to uh, learn more about what you guys are doing at Braintrust Partners? The easiest place is, is at our website, uh, braintrust.partners. Um, one of those those fun domain extensions, braintrust.partners. And, and there is our blog. There's information about each one of us as consultants, as speakers, uh, with links to our Twitter accounts where we also share more information. And some of us have personal blogs as well, but that's the best place to start and where you can find where, uh, like the Paragon case study, um, that's where you can find some of these things that we've done for clients and some of the thought leadership in terms of what we are trying to bring to market and practice. That's where it'll be. Excellent. All right, Tim. Well, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. I will, as always, summarize the key action points out of this for our audience, and I'm sure people will be reaching out to learn more. So thanks again, Tim. Thank you, Ann. Enjoyed it. Man, Tim just shared some great content. I also want to thank those of you who take the time to subscribe and share this with your friends. really makes a big impact on reaching our audience. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key takeaways that you can use and apply right away in your business. The biggest thing I want you to get from Tim's comments is that don't think of marketing as an acquisition strategy, but instead, when you incorporate mobile, when you personalize the content, it actually helps with retention and customer relations in addition to the acquisition side. So constantly be focused on where you can add value. Make sure that you're not just trying to acquire customers, but instead you're engaging your existing customers and take the time to solicit feedback so you know what's important to them. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just fire me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.